to Explore the OT Field podcast. I am your host, Nicole Smith. Today we're going to explore the OT field by learning about the fieldwork setting in special education from Dr. Kaylee Novak. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Kaylee Novak. Thank you so much. I'm really, I'm really glad to be here. Um, I just was going to take a minute to introduce myself, if that's okay. Yes, definitely. Okay. Okay, so I am a doctor of occupational therapy. Um, I went to grad school at Western New England University, um, their new doctoral program, and I loved every second of it. Um, and I had my um, second field replacement in a special education setting, and I actually got a job there as well. So that is where I'm currently working. Mm, that's exciting. Uh, I l- will love to hear all about it. But first, what brought you to OT? Um, So my mom is a physical therapy assistant. So I've always kind of, you know, been exposed to the world of therapy. Um, And, you know, I had experiences with family members who um, were disabled and required therapy. So I've had a lot of experience with it. And I just kind of fell in love with occupational therapy for, you know, the holistic approach. Mm -hmm. I feel like everyone says that it's so cliche, but it's so true. Mm. Um, It really is a very client-centered, you know, space. So I Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that part of it. Okay. Um, And when you were entering into OT school, did you have a specific uh, field of interest when you started? I've always really enjoyed working with kids. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, I went into OT school with kind of an open mind because I, you know, knew that there was many, many different populations and settings that we can work in, Mm -hmm. but I really have always enjoyed working with kids. So I think that that's always been uh, an interest of mine from the very beginning. Oh, okay. So then what were your thoughts when you were placed in special education and school setting? That must have been perfect. (laughs) Yeah, so I was hoping to get into some sort of pediatric setting. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't really have a preference. Mm -hmm. And then I heard that I was getting into special education. And, you know, at first I was a little bit nervous Mm -hmm. because it's not the typical public school setting. You know, it's every single student has an IEP and they all have very different abilities and, you know, needs um, for their education. So I was definitely a little bit nervous, but excited because it seemed like it was something that was unique. Mm-hmm. So so could you explain um, the placement setting in more detail? Right, yeah. Um, so it is, like I said, very unique. Um, it is a private school, um, so it's not associated with any school district. Mm-hmm. Um And it doesn't, you know, have a high school, middle school, preschool, that sort of thing. It's just Mm -hmm. one entity. Um, And like I said, it's private. So you do need to pay to go there, whether it be the district um, of the student who's getting sent there that's paying or the parents are paying out of pocket. So that's a little bit different. Um, As I mentioned, every student there does have an IEP. Um, it includes, you know, a vast array of services mm-hmm. um, from OT to counseling to speech to behavioral, um, which we offer at our school. We have um, full-time employed uh, ABA therapists. We have 
speech language pathologists, we have um, school psychologists, social workers that are all in house. Mm -hmm. um, they all work there full time. So it's really awesome that, you know, we get to work so closely with a team mm -hmm. every day, as opposed to splitting my time between multiple schools. Oh, yeah. um, I get to stay there all day every day. We have our own OT room, which is really awesome. Mm -hmm. And then um, obviously the the kids um, educational programs are very unique. We offer transition programming. We offer daily living skills, um, life skills classes. Mm -hmm. So it's a very unique setting that has a lot to offer, mm -hmm. especially for students with those types of needs. Yeah, that sounds like an awesome school really cool <laughs> that they offer all of that um so mm -hmm. so before going into your field work I know you said you were a little nervous uh how did you prepare mm -hmm. before starting field work um so a lot of the things that I did to prepare involved like looking over my notes from school mm -hmm. um and you know reviewing the types of interventions the types of assessments but really just um Kind of preparing myself to be confident in you know my knowledge mm -hmm. because you never know really what you're getting into when you get to field work but yeah if you can you know be be prepared in terms of you know information and knowledge i think that definitely helped me i didn't spend hours and hours studying mm -hmm. um but i did you know review everything that we had gone over in like my pediatrics classes which i think definitely helped me mm -hmm. um there's you know there's still surprises when you get to field work you can't you can't prepare for everything yeah it did help me quite a bit so that's true um did the field work setting themselves ask you to prepare something specific a little bit so i got the opportunity to talk to my um, field work educator prior to coming to the school, um, mostly just about logistics, you mm -hmm. know, dress code and what time to be there and everything. Mm -hmm. But she also told me um, what to spend the most time reviewing. And a okay. lot of it was, you know, assessments, um, evaluation tools, mm -hmm. and um, different types of interventions for different skills, like fine motor skills, visual motor skills, um, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So oh, okay. she did give me a little bit. Oh, okay. Uh, so in the beginning of your fieldwork, what did a typical day look like? So it kind of depended on the week um, that it was, because obviously in the beginning, I was doing more of the observation piece, just getting used to the schedule, the layout mm -hmm. of the school, the caseload, the kids. Mm -hmm. um, so I was doing a lot of observation, but then we structured it so that I was taking on more and more kids each week mm -hmm. um, I think around week two I started with like three or four maybe five mm -hmm. um, and then I worked all the way up to the full caseload so each week I was taking on more and more but um, I would you know lead the session mm -hmm. my fieldwork educator would be there um, to observe and then we would kind of have feedback after each session mm -hmm. um, I also attended a lot of the meetings so all of the meetings um, for the IEP we call them PPT meetings okay. um, so it's just with you know the district the parents the team to discuss the IEP make changes mm -hmm. um, program reviews stuff like that so I was also able to attend those meetings and then I got to do you know the fun stuff like we 
our school would have events for different holidays and, you know, like read across America, Dr. Seuss and mm-hmm. St. Patrick's Day and, you know, all that fun stuff. So I got mm-hmm. to participate in those kinds of things too. You mentioned that you would have a full caseload eventually. At what at what week would you say that was? Uh, I took on a full caseload pretty early. Mm-hmm. Um because my my fieldwork educator was you know sort of in and out Mm -hmm. but I took on the caseload probably around I want to say week five or six I was definitely at the full caseload like halfway through Mm -hmm. Um, our school is pretty small so it's not a huge caseload and the um, OTR does split the caseload with the CODA Mm -hmm. so um, I I had the full OTRs caseload which was probably around 13 students mm-hmm. um which isn't a lot compared to the public schools oh, okay. and then as I continued through week 12 I took on some of the CODA's kids as well to get a sense of you know what adding more kids felt like mm-hmm. but in terms of typical caseload in a public school that it's very very different oh, we're very okay. fortunate to be able to provide kind of quality over quantity service because mm-hmm. in some public schools you'll get upwards of you know, 60 kids on your caseload. So oh, wow. it's, it's a lot different. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cause you're split between, you know, multiple schools. Mm-hmm. So in a district, so, oh, okay. yeah, we're very fortunate. And I had a pretty small caseload that I was taking on. Oh, okay. So when you had that full caseload, what would a typical day look like then? Um, a lot of it, I'll be honest. I, I did a lot of planning at home. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I really like to feel prepared when I got to the school, like in the morning, I never wanted to be scrambling to find, you know, what I was going to do during that treatment session. Mm -hmm. So I would plan out my weeks, um, either, you know, Monday night or Sunday night. Mm -hmm. So I would have like all of my treatment sessions ready to go, Mm -hmm. what I was going to do, what I was going to work on. And I also tended to like grade up and down just so that I had kind of like a backup, especially as I was learning. Yeah. Um, And then when I first got there um, in the morning, I would, you know, prepare all of my materials for that day. So I would take everything out, get worksheets, get pencils, get, you know, craft supplies, everything that I was going to be doing. Mm -hmm. And I would set it out so that I had it ready to go. Mm -hmm. And then I would, um, you know, at their scheduled time, I would pull the kids into the OT room or I would push into the classroom. Um, do the activity that I had planned, and then I would um, usually write some sort of daily note. In schools, it's a little bit different. I worked in a hospital as well, and they require a very, you know, specific template and very specific wording, and, you know, you have to get it in immediately after. Mm -hmm. In the school setting, you don't necessarily have to take daily notes like that. It's kind of just for your own um, knowledge. So I would, you know, take take pretty detailed notes as a student because I was still learning um, and I wanted to remember everything that I had did Mm -hmm. with that student. So then we would, um, I would write the daily notes and then I would usually talk to my fieldwork educator about how it went, you know, Mm -hmm. um, talk about things that I should have done differently or what I did well. And then at the end of the day, we would kind of discuss what was going to be coming up next for the next day. So what treatment sessions I had, what I was planning on doing, what meetings we had, Mm -hmm. all that. So it was a pretty good system that was, you know, pretty structured and routine for me, which I think definitely helped um, in that setting. Okay. 
And in this practice setting, would you say you applied a specific frame of reference or model? Yeah, so we um, we use the educational model, which isn't necessarily a model that's on like the MBCOT exam, mm -hmm. but it is um, what we use. We um, focus on skills and deficit areas that are impacting a student's um, access or ability to participate or perform um, academically. Mm -hmm. So we, it's a lot different from the medical model. You know, it's not necessarily like a rehabilitative approach. Mm -hmm. It can be a lot of the times modifications or adaptations. Um, it is some, you know, skill acquisition and maintenance, mm -hmm. but it, it can be a lot of modification and adaptation as well. So oh, okay. both environmentally and, you know, so I, I would say that it's probably most similar to the PEOP model. Mm -hmm. Because I think that we take into account, you know, all parts of the person, the environment, the, you know, whatever occupation we're focusing on, and then also their performance. So I would say those two kind of go hand in hand, and that's what we use most. Oh, okay. And I know you mentioned earlier assessments and evaluations. So what type of assessments did you perform? And was there one that was more performed more frequently than others? It depends on the um, student's triennial date. Mm -hmm. So I only got to perform, I think, two evaluations while I was there. We didn't have a lot of students coming into the school at the time, mm -hmm. which is when you would do, you know, a screening and then a formal evaluation to determine whether or not OT services are appropriate. Mm -hmm. But then each student with an IEP has a triennial date. So every three years they're, they do a re-eval. Oh, okay. um, so I got to do two re-evals. Okay. Um, both of them used the DVTP and the BOT, and I believe the VMI. So those are, the BOT is like fine motor. Um, the DVTP3 is um, visual motor and visual perceptual. Mm -hmm. And the VMI has three parts, but it's also visual perceptual, visual motor. So we got to see, uh, you know, both standardized and non-standardized. We did some informal assessments, but those are the three that we used most often because those those are the skills that we typically see are impacting a student's academics. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you know, handwriting, typing, um, ability to use, you know, hand dexterity, strength, manipulation um, in class to use classroom tools and do all of the things that are required for your education. So those were the ones that we used most often. Mm -hmm. And what types of intervention did you perform? And same here, was there one you performed more frequently than others or one that you liked or enjoyed more than others? The interventions definitely are different every single day mm -hmm. for every single mm -hmm. student. You really have to be you really have to be creative because mm -hmm. you have to find ways to motivate kids and that's not the easiest thing for anyone. <laughs> for any client of OT services, mm -hmm. you have to find what motivates them. So a lot of the time it'll be, um, you know, crafts because that works on a lot of visual motor and fine motor skills. Mm -hmm. It'll be games because that works on the gross motor portions, body awareness. Um, it's also a lot of sensory intervention. So um, modifying the environment, mm -hmm. helping them to self-regulate, um, and we do embed the zones of regulation mm -hmm. into our school curriculum. It's a school-wide um, curriculum that we use. So all of the students 
no matter if they receive OT or not, are aware of the zones of regulation mm-hmm. um, and how to use strategies to, you know, cope with the different emotions that come with that. So oh, okay. those are all very common interventions. Mm-hmm. Which one was your favorite intervention? I definitely like crafts, mm-hmm. but I think the games that we play are the most fun and the most engaging, mm-hmm. whether it be like board games or, you know, we're playing a game of catch or mm-hmm. whatever it may be, we're doing a puzzle, like those types of things I think are the most fun mm-hmm. for students and for myself because I just get to see them, you know, they just think it's playing, mm-hmm. but they're working on so many skills um, that they don't even realize. So I think that those are definitely my favorite. Mm-hmm. I love games. I play games with my son all the time. <laughs> so which one was your favorite game? Oh boy, favorite game. Um, I think I'm a big fan of balloon caps. Oh, okay. I don't know why. It's for all of my students, their face just lights up. They think it's hilarious <laughs> trying to keep it off the floor you know, introducing different challenges, mm-hmm. you know, we can only use our left hand now, and we have to stand on one foot, and they they just think that it's the funniest thing, and I think I just enjoy it because they enjoy yeah. it, so it's such a simple game, but it's it definitely helps, you know, it's a movement activity that works on body awareness, mm-hmm. and, you know, left-right discrimination, mm-hmm. and balance, coordination, um, and just it's just fun. <laughs> yeah, I love that. So knowing what you know now and thinking back to when you were about to start your field work, what would you tell yourself? I think I would tell myself to just kind of have faith and just know that you you are ready and you are prepared. Because I think a lot of the time during field work, we kind of get in our own heads that we're we're just students Mm -hmm. and you know there's this big scary OT environment that we're not necessarily prepared for but that's that's really not true we we have done the work we've Mm -hmm. put in the time in school Mm -hmm. um and you know so we just have to be confident in in our abilities and you know even though it's it's a learning environment and it's okay to make mistakes Mm -hmm. you know to just to just have fun and like be you, be the OT that you were meant to be, you Mm -hmm. know, like be confident in your abilities as an occupational therapy practitioner. I love that. Do you think you would have prepared any differently? Honestly, I I think I did okay. I I don't think I over-prepared, which was some, I don't know. I'm not the type of person who can spend hours and hours and hours studying. That was definitely difficult for me during the MBCOT. So mm-hmm. I don't think I overprepared, but I don't think I underprepared either. So okay. I I don't know. I don't think I would have prepared differently. <laughs> I think I did pretty well for for my personal, you know, learning style and abilities. Yeah, you had that just right challenge, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what did you find most helpful to be more successful or more comfortable as a fieldwork student? I think like I said, it was definitely the prep that I put mm-hmm. in because if I if I hadn't prepped my my treatment sessions beforehand I would have been so stressed trying to mm-hmm. scramble and put together an activity um, mm-hmm. especially with you know kids who you have to have like your activity plan but then you have to have like four backup plans because <laughs> they don't always want to do what you originally had planned so right. I think I the, the prep before each treatment session 
uh, definitely helped. And then I also made the rule for myself to, you know, try to leave as much work as possible at work or at my field work setting. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was in, in the beginning of field work, um, I was bringing a lot of it home. Like I said, I was doing prep stuff on Sunday nights, Monday nights, but it was taking away from my ability to, you know, enjoy my time at home and relax. So mm-hmm. I think trying to, you know, perform more stress management or leisure activities, um, I might have done a little bit more of that if mm-hmm. I could go back, but, you know, that that was a really important piece of Mm -hmm. being successful and comfortable Mm -hmm. taking the time away from it as well. Yeah. What feedback did you find most helpful from your fieldwork educator? Um, I think that the feedback that I found most helpful was during my, like after my treatment sessions, Mm -hmm. she would go over with me what I did well, um, things that I specifically said or did that she felt were really good or Mm -hmm. she would have, you know, changed this or she would have done this a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't think of a specific example, but Mm -hmm. I think that she, she had just the right balance of providing that constructive Mm -hmm. feedback Mm -hmm. and providing encouraging feedback. Mm -hmm. So I never felt like she was you know, beating me down. I mm-hmm. never felt like she wasn't confident in my abilities, which only helped me to be confident in my abilities. Mm-hmm. You know, that that positive reinforcement is such a big part of gaining confidence in this field. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that, you know, it's not the end of the world because external motivation is not our only motivation, but mm-hmm. it does really help when someone else is recognizing your strengths and the skills that are really working for you. So I think that she did a really good job of, of balancing that and making me feel good about what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like you two had like an open communication after your sessions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I could ask questions, mm-hmm. she provided feedback, mm-hmm. it was it was really nice. Oh, okay, that's good. What was your most challenging and most rewarding doing your fieldwork in a special education school setting? Hmm. My most rewarding, that that one's the easiest. (laughs) My most rewarding is just seeing the kids progress and growth. Mm -hmm. Even through such a short period of time, three months, three months is a long time for a kid, you know, Mm -hmm. they're, they're growing and developing so fast. So Mm -hmm. getting to see their progress, not only on their IEP goals, but just as little humans, Mm -hmm. like getting to see their that they're maturing and they're self-advocating more and they're coping more effectively with mm-hmm. their emotions or, you know, sensory um, pieces. I just, I really love seeing that part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the most challenging thing I think was probably working with, um, you know, a special education team is really rewarding in and of itself, just having that collaboration with everyone. But it's also really difficult because you have to know how to advocate for occupational therapy services because a lot of the time you'll find that in any setting, not everyone really knows, you know, what we do and how we do it and why we do it. Mm-hmm. And especially in the school setting, a lot of the times people think they know what OT does in mm-hmm. schools and, you know, have an opinion of what they should do, but that's not necessarily 
what's ethical and what fits in our practice guidelines. So Mm -hmm. I really had to learn how to effectively advocate for our profession for what I was doing specifically, but for what all OTs in the school setting in general Mm -hmm. are, you know, allowed to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was definitely hard as a student, um, Mm -hmm. but I think I've gotten a little bit better at it. (laughs) So, you know, it's, it's not perfect. Mm -hmm. You definitely have to continue to advocate. And I think that's a theme across this profession. Mm -hmm. Everyone says that we have to advocate for OT because it's so true. It's just not, not a field that everyone really understands Mm -hmm. so well. So that's, that was definitely the most challenging piece. And I'm still learning how to do that effectively. (laughs) Yeah. If someone told you that they were placed in a similar field for their field work, what would you tell them? I think I would tell them this is like so silly, but just, just have fun. Mm -hmm. Like just build, like focus on building those relationships with the kids because you know even though it's such a short period 12 weeks is so short for Mm -hmm. you it really means a lot for them like I Mm -hmm. had I had kids write me cards I Mm -hmm. had kids you know that were that missed me when I left like those relationships are so meaningful to them Mm -hmm. and it's just so important to like enjoy your time with them while you have it because you you might have a really big impact on someone's life. And I guess this applies for any setting, right? You could have any client of OT services that you really connect with and Mm -hmm. can build a relationship with. So just, you know, having fun and building those relationships and making it meaningful for not only you, but for those clients as well is is definitely my advice and the most important piece, I think. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so nice. So in the end of the interview, I usually ask, what the future holds in regards to job search, but you already told us that you already have a job where you did your field work. I do. <laughs> Can you please tell us about that? Yeah, absolutely. I I was really, really lucky because my field work educator um, was actually leaving sort of right at the time that I started to look for jobs. Um, even though I was still in school, Um, My doctoral program was three years, and we graduated at the end of July, so we were kind of, you know, late in terms of what most um, programs graduate, usually, like, in May, Mm -hmm. Um, but Mm -hmm. so I was starting to look for jobs, and I had, she called me and told me that, you know, she was going to be leaving, and she thinks that I should really apply. I wasn't even done with school Mm -hmm. yet. I hadn't even finished my (laughs) doctoral project, let alone take the exam. Mm -hmm. So I was like, why would they want to hire me? But that, again, I I did have an impact there. And both the CODA and the administrators and my fieldwork educator all really thought that I was a good fit. So I applied. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, legally, they have to post the job to everyone, to the public. So they went through rounds of interviews. Mm -hmm which I was a part of. And I, I think mm-hmm. my experience in the school, you know, helped me in the interviews a little bit because I kind mm-hmm. of already knew, you know, what was going on. But um, yeah, yeah, so I, I went through the interview process and then hired me. Um, and I had to work on a temporary license for a couple months while I was studying um, for my exam. And I had to have mm-hmm. a supervisor during that time. Mm-hmm. So it was really, really hard to study and work full-time and, you know, manage a caseload and get to know the setting and, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone in it. Um, Mm -hmm. It was really difficult. I 
I would spend like hours at my desk after work um, mm-hmm. studying and <sighs> some weekends, you know, I would spend mm-hmm. just all day Saturday and Sunday on my computer, mm-hmm. at the AOTA PDFs and taking the practice questions. So it, it was definitely a lot, but I felt like it was worth it because mm-hmm. this, I could not compare this job to anything else that I have heard about or seen in the school setting. It's such a unique school. The, mm-hmm. the mission statement or tagline, whatever you want to call it, is a school built on love. Mm-hmm. And it definitely is. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such a unique setting that just focuses. I mean, I talk about OT being holistic mm-hmm. um, and client-centered, but this school mm-hmm. literally models that. It is... Mm-hmm. It's just the perfect way that you'd want, you know, a kid with multiple disabilities or, you know, a ton of need and, you know, support that they require. That's where you'd want them to be. Mm-hmm. And with the team that you'd want them to have everyone available and there. And it really also, um, you know, they they value OT so much, which in mm-hmm. a lot of settings, you don't necessarily see. So I'll have team members come to me with questions and, you know, what do you recommend for this? How would you do this? And they they want to know my opinion. They want to know what the OT perspective is and the lens is. So I, I that's my spiel. I, I, I could keep going. I love, <laughs> I love my job. Mm-hmm. I could not ask for a better job. Um, but it was really, it was difficult getting here. But if I didn't put myself out there, you know, even though I didn't think that I was qualified, mm-hmm. I I put myself out there and I ended up getting something that I could only dream of like 30 years from now when mm-hmm. I had all of this experience under my belt. Yeah. And they trusted me enough to let me, you know, work in this setting. And it's mm-hmm. been, it's been really, really awesome. I wouldn't trade it for the world and they're going to be stuck with me for a very long time. (laughs) That sounds amazing. I've been just sitting here smiling and I I would definitely say that you've sparked my interest in the special education school (laughs) setting. I'm sure some listeners will think the same. It sounds amazing. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a little biased. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Dr. Kaylee Novak. It's been a real pleasure talking to you today, and I have enjoyed listening to and learning from your experience, and I hope the listeners have as well. If anyone wants to reach out to you with questions or comments, where can they find you? So I have an OT Instagram that I just started. I don't have any like pictures or posts or anything yet. Mm-hmm. But it's called OT with Kaylee. So it's OT with W-I-T-H-K-A-E-L-I. And I'm happy to answer DMs and, you know, whatever whatever they throw my way. And, you know, they can, they can ask away because I'm totally open. And you're full of amazing answers. I know it. Well, I wanted to tell you before we get off that I just appreciate that you are even doing something like this I feel like you know OT doesn't get enough like hype and Mm -hmm. you know social media presence Mm -hmm. we we all follow you know all of our OT accounts and everything but Mm -hmm. you know getting podcasts on Spotify Mm -hmm. and web pages and blogs and Instagrams that's 
that's a way to advocate for OT and to get people involved and learning about our profession. So Mm -hmm. what you're doing right now is so amazing. And I commend you for taking the time to, you know, help grow our profession in really positive ways. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome. And again, thank you for being on the podcast. And thank you for letting us explore the OT field with you today. Of course. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Explore the OT Field podcast. I hope you enjoyed learning about this fieldwork setting and that you are looking forward to the next episode and interview. If you want to follow along this journey of exploring the OT field and fieldwork, follow the podcast Instagram account at Explore the OT Field Podcast. If you want to share your experience on the podcast, please message me on Instagram or send an email to explorethootfield at gmail.com. I'm so excited that you joined us today and hope you will tune in next time. If you, like myself, need extra reminders sometimes, follow the podcast on Spotify and you won't miss a learning opportunity. Until next time, keep exploring.